0: Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 156. Deja Q. Welcome to
1: another episode of Mission Log, a
2: Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch Star Trek. Then, we talk about Star Trek, trying to see just how much meaning was crammed between the prologue and the closing credits.
1: This week, we go round and round with an omnipotent being in Deja Q. You know
2: what we haven't done it in a while? What's that? Uh, the alternate title game.
1: Ah, oh, I missed that.
2: Yeah, you know, we actually did that, I think, on the first episode of this show, and then just kind of quit. <laughs> I right. think we done it, like, maybe twice, but we should do it more. Uh, there were a few alternate titles for this week's episode. Mm-hmm. Will there ever be another Q? Spoiler alert. Yes. Uh, there was talk of just making the title a lowercase cue, which, you know, would have worked, but is probably a little too subtle. And then "Q uh, Me Baby was actually one, which would have been a great tie-in to a 1990 hit by Bell Biv DeVoe, but otherwise made absolutely no sense whatsoever.
1: I love the alternate title game. And
2: it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is it's a game that anyone can play. In fact, if, if you've got an alternate title for an upcoming episode of, of, uh, of, of Star Trek that we're going to be covering, you should send it to us or some other stuff. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can. 323 522 5641. That number again, 323 522 5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at MissionLogPodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. <laughs> Sorry, don't right. don't don't call and sing us "cue me, baby." No, because <laughs> I've I've already covered that uh, before the recording. Yeah, I think before the recording,
1: yeah, it was before
2: we recorded. Uh, that's too bad because that would have been that would have been a great uh, extra. You know what else is a great extra every What's week? That? I don't know if we call it extra, but 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 it is kind of. Mm-hmm. It's trivia. Oh, here we go, Ken.
1: For Deja Q, today's story is written by Richard Danis. Now, he wrote the teleplay for Booby Trap. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not playing anymore.
1: Okay. Uh, he, he was... He was uh, one of the story editors for a good portion of season three, Um, and we do need to actually credit part of the plot line here to Gene Roddenberry. So the original idea had Q actually pretending to lose his powers, and it was Gene who said they needed to commit to the actual idea of somebody godlike losing his power for real. Now, the episode was directed by Les Landau. We remember Les. He was the second unit director, then stepped in to finish Code of Honor when Russ Mayberry was let go. Uh, Today's episode got two Emmy nominations, one for Best Editing and one for Best Special Effects. And, Ken, you might recognize uh, the uniforms on the Brielle Scientists. Um, They were the same ones used on the Promelians in um, uh, that episode with the... The, the thousand-year-old spaceship that was sitting out there. Um, you know the one.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Do I yeah. have to say it? Yeah. The Enterprise incident? No. Oh. No. Uh, the one with the... All right, booby trap, fine. Booby <laughs> trap. There. Okay. I really wasn't gonna. I was really... I was fairly committed. You know, we had somebody write to us and say, so I tried a drinking game where every time you say <laughs> booby trap, <laughs> and uh, then I died. I'd take a shot. Right. And <laughs> okay. the guy was like, yeah, I'm glad I quit that game. So, yeah. I, so I was actually, after I heard that, I was fairly committed to not saying uh, booby trap anymore.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, now let's talk about some guest stars here. Uh, Q makes a couple of beautiful women appear out of nowhere. One of them is played by Sandra Wilde, who did a lot of modeling for Playboy in the late 80s through the 90s. And like many other models from that time, she appeared on a bunch of TV shows, including the Seemingly required spot on married with children and I mentioned her because she'll actually be back for more Trek on deep space nine Now the other actress uh, is unknown and it's worth pointing out here that there are a lot of unknown actors in Star Trek particularly this early on although 1990 doesn't seem that long ago There was no IMDB at the time So we're relying on the actors themselves in many cases to fill in the missing information We'll see an example later on when even in a feature film, there is missing information that had to be cut because of a missing credit.
2: Wait a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Relying on the actors themselves? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So basically. So, yeah, dude, go back in and fill in. Somebody Barry. who checks IMDb next week will find out that I was on an episode
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> of Star Trek The Next Generation. And you were great. I was awesome. Are you kidding I me? Mean, I just yeah. can't believe I wasn't credited until yeah. you know next week when I figure out how to edit IMDb. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: right.
1: So speaking of missing credits, um sometimes that is done on purpose when you have a big name star and you kind of don't want to give it away at the opening. So we expand our understanding of Q in this episode when we meet another from the continuum, this one played by Corbin Bernsen. He is definitely best known for playing Arnie Becker on L.A. Law, but please don't think that he disappeared when that show ended. He has worked a lot, um, just to name a couple, West Wing, Jag, Boston Legal, The Young and the Restless, even Tim and Eric Awesome Show. And John DeLancey returns here as Q, of course, and uh, he does go full DeLancey, for real. Um, (laughs) They couldn't get the shot. With classic Hollywood camouflage techniques, he was wearing a jockstrap, um, and it just didn't work, uh, so he shot it in the buff. He was standing up, though, on a blue screen, and they matted that into the shot. So in his own words, he says, quote, Finally, I said to hell with it. People who want to stay, stay. People who want to go, go. I take the jock strap off, and let's shoot the damn thing. Um, did we ever mention the origin of the name Q? Uh, Gene Roddenberry named the character after English Star Trek fan Janet Corden. She showed Delancey a letter from Gene with that promise.
0: It is like Encounter at Farpoint all over again, but not really. Still, Q is back, and Q is back. Let us hear what happens.
2: Prologue: Braille 4 is under threat. Its asteroidal moon is about to crash into it, and the Enterprise is trying to stop that. No one knows why the moon is suddenly out of whack, but it is, and the lives of a million are in jeopardy below. Set the countdown clock for 29 hours. Geordi LaForge has an idea. It basically involves pushing the moon with the ship's tractor beam, though he says the chances of that working are pretty slim. He tries anyway, and it doesn't work. They're pushing the moon, but not nearly enough to make a difference. Also, there's a high-pitched whine coming from nobody-knows-where. Geordi says engines are about to go into automatic shutdown. Picard orders the tractor beam turned off, and where is that infernal whine coming from? Suddenly, hanging in midair in front of Captain Picard is a naked Q. And we won't talk about what's hanging in front of naked Q. He falls to the floor as we head to opening credits. Act 1. Picard's pretty sure he knows now why the Braille 4 moon is falling from the sky. It had to be Q. It had to be Q. A more petulant than usual Q says he has no idea what Picard is talking about. He's got bigger problems than millions of beings about to be thrown into a nice age. He's no longer part of the continuum. His powers have been revoked by his superiors. Punishment for spreading chaos across the universe. No one in the Enterprise believes him. So he was made human as a punishment? Yeah, not exactly. He could have been any mortal thing he chose, though he says he chose to be a human on the Enterprise because, in all of the universe, Picard is the closest thing he has to a friend. Nobody really believes that either. He is seeming human, though. Data says he reads on sensors as fully human, and Counselor Troi says she's getting an emotion off of him. He's terrified. Picard's not buying any of it. He tells Q to put the Braille for Moon back in its orbit. Q says, seriously, no powers. I'm human now. How can I prove that? Worf suggests dying would work, though Picard has a simpler plan. He tells Worf to throw Q and the brig. On the way, Q is bemoaning all the bad parts of being human. What he should have said was that he wanted to be Klingon. So, Worf, as one Klingon to another, will you talk to the captain for me? Worf doesn't seem inclined to. All right, well think about this at least. If I was still omnipotent, would I let you lock me up? Whatever. In Picard's ready room, Picard and Riker are trying to work out why Q is jeopardizing the lives on Braille 4 and what game he's playing exactly. Picard finally admits the possibility that Q may have nothing to do with it, that he really can't snap his fingers and fix everything. Neither he nor Riker think that that is likely, but they have no choice but to behave as if it is the case anyway. Picard tells the Braille Science Station that their first attempt to move the moon has failed. 25 hours left before disaster. The planet has started moving its inhabitants to areas least likely to be affected by the impact, and the Enterprise will be trying again to move the moon. Just then, whoosh, sound, bright light, the Enterprise is being probed. Unbeknownst to the Enterprise, the probe has found what it's looking for. It had to be Q. Act 2. Picard visits Q in the brig. He wants to know what the heck is going on and what was that probe all about. Q says he has no idea. For the first time ever, he was sleeping. Picard is bored again and starts to leave, but Q makes an appeal. No, he can't snap his fingers and fix everything, but that doesn't mean he can't help fix everything. He has literally countless years of experience with moons and the universe and everything. Can Picard really pass up his help? Resigned, Picard puts Data in charge of Q. First job, take Q to Geordie in engineering. Data and Q discuss whether Q really is human. Sadly, Q says, it is true. An irony, says Data. It means you have achieved in disgrace what I have always aspired to be. Q says humans offer nothing to envy, though Data says he doesn't feel envy. He feels nothing. He shares the human race's curiosity, but cannot share its emotions. Q says emotions aren't all they're cracked up to be. In engineering, Q hurts his back. Yet another new experience for him. Jordy calls Dr. Crusher. In the meantime, Q does have a solution to the Braille 4 moon issue. Simply change the gravitational constant of the universe. That's just so cute. How do you redefine gravity? Slap on your Nikes. Just do it. This is not all as useless as it sounds. First, Dr. Crusher's instruments show actual back trauma in Q. Yet another sign that he is, in fact, human. Meanwhile, Q's flip comment about changing the gravitational constant of the universe has Geordie thinking. No, he can't do that. But if they extend a warp field around the moon, that could change its mass and make it easier for the Enterprise to push. Now, Q is hungry. He and Data go to 10 forward to grab some food. Bad idea. That's where Guinan works. And they don't get along. She comes in to gloat over Q's newfound mortality. And to test it. By stabbing Q in the hand with a space fork. They really don't get along. Recounting his many misdeeds, Guinan suggests that Q get used to begging, since that's the only thing that's going to keep him alive. On the bridge, sensors pick up a plasma cloud, which turns out to be a living thing. An intelligent thing. Guinan identifies it as a calamarane, and it goes to work right away, torturing Q. Geordi is able to stop it by shifting the ship's shields. Q falls to the floor, screaming for help, as we go to break. Act 3. The Enterprise now has two problems, an alien force that wants to torture Q, and a planet that's about to be mooned. Yeah, have a moon fall on it. Picard's a little annoyed. For all of Q's talk of friendship, he's really just here for protection and Picard wants none of it. He'll dump Q at the nearest star base. Q says he could be a member of the crew, though, and Data does allow that he has been helpful in the Brayal situation. Oh yeah, that. Picard calls to see how Geordi's doing. He's working on it. They'll try giving the moon a warp-field-enhanced push in 14 minutes. Picard tells Data and Q to go to engineering to assist. In engineering, Q tries to take command. Geordi shuts him down. He's meant to... Push some buttons every now and then. Q argues, but Geordi is in command. Get to the controls, or get the hell out of here. After a bit of arguing and adjusting, the warp push starts to work. There is a problem, though. To pull the maneuver, the Enterprise had to lower its shields. When the calamarane realized that, they began to attack, again, trying to get at Q. Shields are raised, stopping the calamarane, but also stopping the moon maneuver. The Calamarine overpower the shields and go back to torturing Q, electrifying him, paralyzing him. Geordi can't give shields more power. The Enterprise has been driven into the upper atmosphere of Braille 4, and they need all of their power to escape. Data grabs onto Q, and now he's electrified and paralyzed. Free of the planet's atmosphere, Geordi can once again strengthen shields. This breaks the Calamarine's attack, dropping both Q and Data to the floor. Act 4. Data was seriously damaged by the Calamaran attack. Geordie and Dr. Crusher will work on him. As for the Moon, the warp push bought a bit of time, but that's it. They can try again at the Moon's next perigee. But that will once again leave them open to attack by the Calamaran. In Picard's ready room, Q stops by to discuss mortality with the Captain. It's something he seriously never thought about before. He could have died, had it not been for the sacrifice made by Data... When he thinks about whether he'd have done the same for Data, and is forced to admit he would not have, he feels ashamed. As I learn more and more what it is to be human, I am more and more convinced that I would never make a good one. I don't have what it takes. Without my powers, I'm frightened of everything. I'm a coward. I'm miserable. And I can't go on this way. Now it's back to sick bay, where Q tells Data that his lack of feelings, his lack of emotions, his lack of pain... They're all covetous. But if it means anything to Data, Data is a better human than Q. From there, Q heads to the shuttle bay and steals a shuttle. He tells Picard that he just can't get used to following orders. The Calamorains start pursuing the shuttle, which Q says is a bonus. It's better this way. Please, don't try to save me. Picard says there's no nobility in this suicide, but Q says seriously, as a human, he'd have died of boredom. Act 5 Deus ex deus. Picard calls for the transporter room to simply beam Q's shuttle back aboard the ship. Well, it's a perfectly good shuttle. Beaming it aboard won't work, though. Neither will extending the Enterprise shields around it. Neither will the tractor beam. Something is stopping the Enterprise from saving Q, though they have no idea what that something is. We do, though. There's another Q on the shuttle. This particular Q has been keeping track of the Q we know despite having this particular Q having been the one to throw our Q out of the continuum. He's impressed with these humans, but he's more impressed with our Q's selfless act of leaving the Enterprise and drawing away the calamarain. Q argues that that's not what he was doing, he was simply looking for the quickest, easiest death he could find. Other Q doesn't buy it, and our Q finally admits that yes, it was sort of a selfless act. And with that, our Q's powers are restored. And he sets to torturing the Calamarain almost immediately. Until other Q reminds him that he's still watching. After a musical number... Seriously, Q lands a mariachi band on the bridge of the Enterprise. After a musical number, he puts the Braille 4 moon back in its orbit and teases the crew with promises of more misadventures to come. Q does have one other parting gift, though. As he disappears... Data bursts out in laughter repeatedly when he finally comes to his senses he says he doesn't know why it happened but it was a wonderful feeling the end
1: oh i love it when the q can get along again
2: <laughs> can't q just all get along
1: <laughs> yeah
2: all right uh, let's so let's do let's do let's get one thing out of the way right now okay i i love me some Arnie becker Oh sure! I love Corbin Birdson.
1: Of course,
2: he could have drawn it back like like just a tiny bit on this. <laughs> I felt like he was doing an imitation of John Delancey, but a bad totally imitation innocent. of John Delancey.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And if all of the cues are like that,
1: <laughs> they're, then they're insufferable.
2: Well, yeah. then then I don't understand how the universe ever made it.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I wish he I I wish he had played it a tiny bit differently. Again, this is me playing the part of the. Uh, of every barista in l a saying how they would have directed something that came out twenty five <laughs> years ago, <laughs> nothing wrong with being a barista, by the way, I make fun of no. how some people direct. I also could not make a good cup of coffee at a Starbucks. no way, yeah, or a latte i I'm, I'm I'm crap at making lattes, so hats off to directors who direct and baristas who bariste
1: and Corbin <laughs> burnson who burnson's
2: yeah he does he does do that. Did you mention by the way um psych? No, I didn't. He's the dad on yeah, Psych. Yeah. yeah. That's what I think of as his next big role. I don't know if that was his next okay. big role, but that's what I think of as his next big role. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's, he, he's still out there a lot. You know, but yeah. L.A. Law was, you know, he was obviously a huge, huge star when that came on. And it's interesting to get somebody that big to come in and do a role on uh, a show that is also big at the time. And I imagine he showed up and he met John DeLancey and is like, oh, OK, John DeLancey plays the role like this. That's what the role is about. So hmm. I will play it like that. <laughs> you know,
2: I guess you would hope that somebody would have made, you know, that some director would have been maybe not afraid of directing. Corbin Burnson, though, because he's directing Patrick Stewart for crying out loud, and John Delancey, yep, yep. and Whoopi Goldberg. That's the amazing thing, too. You got like huge. You forget because now you would look at now Corbin Burnson would be like a, like a shoe in for uh, star of the week on a reboot of the Love Boat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the time, man, there was there was almost no bigger show, certainly on network TV, than L.A. Law, and, right. and everybody who was on it was huge. Although, actually, when did L.A. Law leave the air? Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, we might be sort of jamming some mid-90s. of that stuff and I want to say, that, oh, is it really mid-'90s? Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. Might be late-'80s, sort of early-'90s, 90s, but whatever. 90s. Yeah. Still a big star is the point. And, of course, again, absolutely amazing that Whoopi Goldberg, hugest star on the planet at the time, or one of the hugest mm-hmm. stars on the planet, is also on Star Trek. Sorry, I'm just I'm finishing
1: a note here. Uh, Loveboat reboot... <laughs> <laughs> Burnison.
0: This okay. would actually
2: be a Love Boat reboot. Reboot. Don't forget because there was the one where um, Robert Urich. Yeah, it doesn't count. What? You, of course, it counts. It, it was a reboot. It, was, it may have been a bad
1: reboot, but it was a reboot. <laughs> <sighs> but does it does it stick to canon, Ken? It's, you know. <laughs> All right, so uh, today's episode, let's talk about that. So yeah. um, interesting makeup on the uh, Brielle scientists that we meet. Um, I, I thought for a moment there, because of the way it worked, I thought that they had maybe shot them saying something else mm. and then went back in and dubbed it just so you'd have a, a total mismatch of the, the lips moving. So it was, you know, a, a creative use of the makeup. But um, Okay. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll leave it at creative and interesting.
2: Here's the question I had. Were those two scientists a couple? Or are we, are we falling back to that TOS thing where if things are bad, you just start holding hands with people? Because yeah, if, I know. they've <laughs> been scientists all the way through, one male, one female, whatever. But then yeah. towards the end, the female of the scientists, uh, or the female of the species, if I want to tell you in a song thing again, because yeah, I love doing like it, that, you know. Yeah. The female of the species is like, you yeah, know, if, if this doesn't work, Picard... We're like all gonna die. I mean, seriously, everybody's gonna die. And the mm-hmm. male scientist reached over and puts his hand on her hand. He's like, mm-hmm. "Thank mm-hmm. you, Captain Picard. You, we know you're doing your best."
1: There, there, there's maybe like a little, uh, you know, Cornelius and Zira relationship there. Maybe. All right,
2: maybe it's so. Like maybe that. so. It was just a weird yeah. thing. It was a weird thing to see happen because we haven't we haven't really seen that since. Uh, Gary, what's his name, on the bridge of the Enterprise? Gary yeah. Mitchell. Oh, Gary Mitchell. Oh, we're going to go to the edge of the galaxy. Quick, hold my hand. Right.
1: Yeah. We'll assume that they are a
2: couple. All right, and, good. Because um, that's important.
1: And we'll assume <laughs> that they're putting a lot of pressure
2: on uh, on Picard. <laughs> what the heck was up with that? Like didn't, I know. Like, right? he didn't know. Although, in yeah. fairness, it really did feel like they did have to remind Picard, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be working on getting the moon back in yeah. its orbit.
1: Hey, they just, you know, the Enterprise just showed up. They didn't have to. Yeah, I know. Okay, if they had been someplace else, it would have been the end of the Brielle. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but they do have realistic concerns. You know, they, they talk about like the nuclear winter and and the tsunamis and you know all, all this stuff was uh, you know scientifically interesting and um, and I th- that uh, okay, well maybe. Somebody at NASA is probably having a similar conversation. How do we move a celestial object out of the way if we eventually had to? You know, you hear about that every now and then in the news. Like something will pop up and they'll say, oh, an, a, an asteroid that's like millions of miles away from the Earth. But but if it did get nearby, what would we do about it? Right. <laughs> you know? right.
2: Yeah. yeah. I am. Um, yeah, I, uh, forgive me for correcting you on one thing. Not nuclear mm-hmm. winter, but you know the debris that's kicked up. It's the same sort of thing as nuclear winter, but
1: well, yeah, yeah uh, Nuclear they're not included. Yeah, they're, they're describing the effects of a nuclear winter, but it's yes. from the dust kicked up by the the impact of that small moon. Yeah what what killed,
2: um, what killed the dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. we don't Maybe. we don't know. I like Father that's, Guido Sarducci's idea about that. That was wait, actually is what? well, it was aliens that picked up all the dinosaurs except for two. <laughs> and then the meteor hit. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So, uh, so you know what? You know it's always fun on a Q episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Delancey. I know he doesn't get to. I know he doesn't get to ad lib. So I think writers just take liberties, right? Because you've got a character who comes on who's completely irreverent and who 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 just says you know whatever's on his mind, and that pretty much just frees the writer to just be dumb. And sometimes it leads—or be dumb with the character, rather. I don't mean be stupid with the character. I mean just have have fun. And sometimes it leads to great monologues. Sometimes that leads to uh, to great dialogue. Like the stuff—I um, know you love the stuff that happened with Worf in this episode.
1: It's just, uh, you know, eat any good books lately. It's
2: so good. <laughs> <laughs> eat any good books lately was fantastic. I was also glad, by the way, there is a there is a growing of the relationship between Q and the people on the Enterprise besides Picard— um, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. only name he called Worf was Worf.
1: Yeah, he didn't call him Microbrain.
2: No, he didn't call him anything except for Worf. Well, again, you yeah. tried to butter him up by saying, you know, I can be a Klingon. I, w- I should have been a Klingon, as one Klingon to another.
1: Oh, but he did call him a Romulan.
2: Well, he did call him a Romulan. I was just trying to get to him, though.
1: Yeah, that, that's a serious insult. You're right. That um, He did
2: call him another name besides Worf. That's true. Right, right.
1: Um, I'm glad that you mentioned the return of the space fork uh, because that was also a great moment.
2: It <laughs> that was, that was
1: pretty golden.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We're gonna have to talk about uh, we're gonna have to talk about Guinan later, though.
1: We will. We will. Right, um, uh, one thing: Did you notice the uh, the call out for Berthold radiation?
2: I did. I uh, did
1: indeed. Because remember, it is deadly unless you are huffing spores.
2: I know. If only there were some life saving life prolongation plant around that could help. I wonder wonder if there's any planet out there where we could find one of those.
1: I I was surprised, you know, you have to do this for the way the story is written, but, you know, Q knows all these little details about humans like bad breath and pimples and they have to bathe, but he doesn't know about things like eating and sleeping, (laughs) you know, Mm. he's got, uh, got a little learning to do. Um, and I, so let's see. I, I wondered at some point if they ever thought about just maybe helping to evacuate some of the Brielle. Some of the Brielle? Well, it just as many as they could get. You know, uh, uh, they the, the Brielle have communication with a starship, which yeah. would lead me to believe that they have transportation of some sort. Yep. And the Enterprise does have some transporters and they have shuttles and they get all these other things. So it's like, hey, while we're working on solving this problem with the moon, we will also help you get away.
2: Well, no, they can't, though. I mean, here's the thing. This apparently happened really quickly, and they do actually put out the call in the beginning for get as many ships here as they can for the relief effort, right? Yeah. And no other ships show up the whole time that we're here. So we have to assume that this whole thing is, is happening, first of all, very fast, and second, that all the other ships are very far away. So sure. I can't remember which episode it was of the animated series, but I know I, I believe it was the one with Robert April, but I'm not 100% certain. But there was an episode of the animated series that had um, where they where a planet was going to where a planet was going to die or mm-hmm. be hit by something or be destroyed by something, and they they were like, oh, we'll, we'll get the children off planet," but that's really the best we can do. And that whole thing just seemed needlessly awful and cruel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Enterprise can hold like a thousand people. I know we had to bring Lloydie that time. So how many did they have? Maybe three hundred. Too many. Well,
1: that's, well that's that's to bring Lloydie
2: maybe, for. but I mean, so maybe yeah. they could have gotten like three hundred people off that planet. But at that point, you're just creating an arc. Yeah. Um, here was the question that I had actually. Mm-hmm. Q didn't do this. Did other Q do this? I mean, was this whole thing actually a test set up for our Q by the other yeah. Q? Because the whole thing did come out of nowhere. I mean, and right. Q said, eh, "It's probably like something else." What do you say? It's it's like another celestial mass passing through um, uh, right this galactic right, angle, like, this galactic plane, whatever. Probably a black hole or something like that. Could it was it just was it actually just other Q?
1: I I kind of suspected it was.
2: Right. It doesn't matter, but it was test. just something yeah. I wondered about.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, but no, totally, totally reasonable to believe that. Um, I, let's see. Now, I was surprised to hear Jordy of all people say about Q, he's not worth it. Trying mm-hmm. <laughs> to <laughs> in discussing, you know, helping and or saving Q, um, but of course, you know, his friend Data was was hurt, so I get it. He's he's sort of hurting from that. And uh, I I do have to say that I was really pleased to see, you know, I've criticized Star Trek The Next Generation in the past for having trouble understanding concepts like uh, a wild party. (laughs) But I'm really glad to see that in the 24th century, nothing says a party quite like a mariachi band. And I'm glad that hasn't changed in a few hundred years.
0: Time now to look into the deeper meanings in Deja Q. Also... Olay.
1: We've covered a lot of episodes of Star Trek. This is number 156. And I kept thinking, you know, for all the talk we've been giving to enlighten Star Trek, always extending the olive branch and treating enemies with respect and dignity, maybe I have to give them a pass this time on treating Q the way that they do they, they have been burned too many times and and they really have no idea what they're dealing with but it's kind of interesting that he shows up and they're just immediately like you're horrible <laughs> throwing you in the brig <laughs> <You know? laughs> well,
2: I mean, they don't immediately throw him in the brig but that's only because they don't think they can yeah yeah they wait 30 seconds
1: <laughs> they wait 30 seconds
2: <laughs> I love the fact that Worf was like well you could die yeah <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> actually that's a great line it is that it is a,
2: great it line, is a yeah. fantastic line and also and and nobody was upset nobody turned oh. to him and go hey that's not appropriate he's our guest they're all like yeah i hear you
1: yeah <laughs> but you know it did make me think back to the days of like the corbin white maneuver the show mm-hmm. we mentioned every now and then on mission log um to say okay well how how bad do things have to get then before kirk's like you know what you gave us Tranya, but i still don't trust you and that's off to the brig with you if you do one other thing you know but in this case i guess q is uh, q's different <laughs> q has done nothing but torture them
2: right well i mean you uh, extrapolating kirk actually did do that in star trek 6 right Mm, He's mm. never trusted the Klingons, and you can leave Star Trek Five out of it because you kind of <laughs> have to for Star Trek Six to work. Sure, yeah. He's never trusted the Klingons, and in the end of it, he sort of he sort of has to question himself on that. And at the end of it, he comes around. Um, mm. It was it was wonderful that Kirk immediately turned around to help Balok. Yeah, um, cool. that was just an absolutely beautiful moment. But uh, Picard comes around to this as well. I mean, it's actually it's it's a great little it's a great little exchange. And again, we have uh, we have Patrick Stewart. Making it seem effortless, he he says, "Let's just, let's beam the shuttlecraft yeah, back aboard the ship." And Riker just kind of looks at him, mm-hmm. and Picard says, "It's a perfectly good shuttlecraft." <laughs> <laughs> I'm, right? I'm not going to answer to you. Look, look, I'm not going to waste the equipment. Okay, I'm not. If Q happens to still be inside the shuttlecraft when we bring this perfectly good shuttlecraft back, then that's fine. What he's really doing is saving Q, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, he definitely. has his Baylock moment. <laughs> He has his Baylock moment. <laughs> it just takes um you know it takes it takes a little longer to get to. But again, had Baylock been, you know, torturing the 1701 for three seasons, it might have taken Kirk a little bit longer. Think about yeah, how they treated cool. Harry Mudd, now that you think about it. Only bugged them twice. Right. And they still left him to absolute torture on Mud's planet or yeah. planet Mud.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um something that I really like in this episode is that the story is this kind of anthropology lesson on humanity mm-hmm. so we, we've said it over and over again that well people on star trek aren't really people and that the aliens represent different parts of us mm-hmm. so they're the mirror by which we can examine ourselves and and we really do get kind of led by the hand here and amusingly it's data's hand to explore all the little quirks and and emotions that make being human Human, so we go through sleep and pain and depression, followed by the immense craving for chocolate—something that I can relate to. Um, <laughs> trying to find purpose, uh, upsetting your friends and coworkers, compassion, sacrifice. After all that, it's almost kind of a letdown that Q can just get his powers back from the snap of fingers. Did he really learn anything? And we're we're led to believe that he probably didn't. Um, Why would you even need to learn something if you have those godlike powers? And that kind of seems to be where we're left at the end. Um, After all of that terrible stuff that Q goes through, yes, he does give Data that one nice little piece of the puzzle he's been missing, humor, and it's really pleasant to see that. But I also worry that Q is going to go back and torture The uh, the uh the I'm a, I'm going to say it wrong calamarians
2: calamarians
1: calamarians yeah yeah
2: well he would have he he I mean I did say in the recap he did immediately go to torturing them until the other q reminded him that he was actually still there and still watching he was ready yeah. yeah yeah see there's i don't know q has been q has been a pain to sure. this point no question i've always gotten the impression though that he i don't know he's not a good guy necessarily, but I I buy the change that happened to him in this episode. How lasting that change will be, I don't know. I think about the quarter second that
1: it took for him to realize I have my powers
2: back. All right, well, let me me do a little jump the timeline thing then here. Okay. Would you want to see a 7 of 9 thing with Q? I mean, would you actually want him to become a member of the crew? Would you want to watch Mm -hmm. him, you know, learn all of this stuff? Or would you want to do sort of a more TOS thing where it's like, well... He used to be a god. He's not a god anymore. So he dropped him off at a star base, and hopefully he'll find his way through the galaxy. I mean, is this right. something that you would actually want to explore, or would you just like to know that it happened, or, or are you fine knowing that that you know Q is going to be back? Because I love the Q episodes. I don't always oh, find oh, them. They, I don't yeah, always yeah, find yeah. them particularly valuable, honestly. Right. <laughs> but they're right. a tremendous exactly. amount of fun. Exactly. I mean, yeah. so w- would you rather see something like a like he is assimilated into the crew of the Enterprise, or he becomes part of the crew of the Enterprise, or he tries to and fails, or something like that?
1: No, no, I, I think all of those alternatives are, are terrible. Okay, um, but all right. but the the thing is, like, you still want to see a character grow and change. So we saw that happen during the show, but then you sort of hit the reset button at the end, and it's like, well, he's just back to being Q, and the only reason he didn't absolutely crush the Calamor was because other Q showed up just in the nick of time.
2: Do you think it was Q that saved... Um... Braille 4? Yeah, or it, do you think it, it, you think it. it was OtherQ that did that?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Well, see, it could have been that, too. See, if
2: other OtherQ actually put the whole thing out of whack to test Q, then he may have gone ahead and reset it just because those people don't deserve to die just because they were testing Q. Right. At right. the same time, other OtherQ doesn't even seem to acknowledge that that whole thing is happening. So we sort of assume that it's, you know, the Delancey Q. Right. But we don't really know. Well, that, that because, kind of... because if the Delancey Q did that, then hmm. that sort of disproves what you're saying there was there was there's nothing in it for him to do that mm-hmm. but if he goes ahead and does it then no it's not a selfless act i mean it's it's as simple as snapping his fingers literally but if he does that then it shows that he was actually thinking of something besides his own entertainment that He was thinking of something besides his own you know whims
1: mhm mhm well see this was kind of the 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 question or the note that i had for for the end of this episode the the idea that cues you know john Delancey's Q, His self sacrifice, his compassion is what inspired the other Q to give him his powers back. Mm-hmm. So, then does that indicate that our Q, John Delancey Q, is a jerk even by Q standards?
2: Oh, I assume so. I mean, they said that his powers were stripped for spreading chaos through the universe. Yeah. So through the universe. Other, not even through the galaxy. <laughs>
1: the universe. Yeah. Just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've got a. We do have Q, then, who we have to assume are benevolent, who are kind, who are not insane. Why? Well, because those other Q don't do what our Q does.
2: Well, maybe not to the same extent. We don't actually know anything about the Q. This is the first time—I mean, John Delancey's uh, our Q mm-hmm. has talked about there being a Q continuum before, but we really didn't have any proof of that until until this episode, when a second Q shows up.
1: Right. Right, but but and, even and this one with,
2: seems just as insufferable as the first one. <laughs>
1: right, but but the whole test, the whole test is about his compassion and about yeah. about a selfless act. So we have to assume that the selfless act is something that is very important to other Q, yeah, uh, w- which makes maybe this Q kind of an anomaly, and the other Q have
2: to go around cleaning up after him. This doesn't really get to any sort of higher moral though. This is just sort of addressing a a key sure. character thing, right?
1: It's a cute character thing, it's okay. a cute character question and and then that kind of yeah I, I mean maybe it's a sort of uh not not a failing of the episode, but it's an interesting choice of the episode, you yeah know, i'm glad I'm glad that, like you said he he's not a member of the crew, and he, he, we don't see something like that, but as far as a character arc, it's like, wow, we have this really powerful, interesting change for this character. And then we take it all away and yeah. just reset it back to where he was and now we can go spread chaos throughout the universe, the entire universe once again.
2: There's a song that I can't quote. Um, I, I find that hard to believe. But that it reminds me of. Oh, no, I know the quote. I just can't say it on this show because <laughs> okay. I remember it. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was one of the guys from Kids in the Hall. I think it was Bruce McCullough. It might have been his mm-hmm. own album. And he did a song basically. um singing as a guy who has just found out about Jesus six hours ago. Hmm. But he hasn't really learned everything yet. (laughs) And so by the end of the song, he's pretty much talking as someone who had never found Jesus. But now he's thrown Jesus into the mix. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that whole thing up is because you have this revelation, right? And it does not mean your entire life has changed. It becomes part of you at that point. You may learn more and you may become a better person about it, or you may have this revelation and think, you know, something and suddenly you don't. The fact that Q becomes Q again, six hours later, just Hmm. because, you know, somebody handed his powers back to him. He was actually still Q all the way through. He was just having to deal with a new situation. Now, once he no longer has to deal with that situation in the same way, his immediate inclination is to go back to who he was initially, but it doesn't mean that he's going to stay that. I mean, because he now does have in his, in, his, in his eons of existence, in his never not been a Q before, he actually has the very first thing that's been new for him in thousands and thousands of years, not being Q. Having having, you know, all of the failings of humanity and then and then, you know, finding out that all of humanity is not about failings necessarily. So, I mean, the fact that he you're right, it's a little bit disappointing that at the end of the episode. He goes back to being exactly who he was at the same time, it probably would have been a lot more disappointing if he had been like, but no, now I see the error of my ways. And so I'm going to go save other planets. I mean, we kind of we don't have to assume anything at this point. It seems possible, though, that. That he um that this gets, you know, folded into the rest of his experience and who knows, maybe maybe changes stuff a little bit. Again, Boys, it's like um, go torture that gaseous cloud. Well no, he already yeah. tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> so he just blew them away instead. Yeah. I, I actually wondered what happened to them when he went and it was right. gone. It's like I'm sorry, is that better? Is what just happened better? Do we know, do we know was he like in like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he's small enough now, was he actually swallowed by a dog somewhere? <laughs> Right. And I guess right. that's good. I want to go back to something that I talked about in the recap. Sure. I'm actually going to recap part of the recap. Uh, Data oh. and Q discuss whether Q is really human. Sadly, Q says it's true. An irony, says Data. It means you have achieved in disgrace uh, what I have always aspired to be. Q says humans offer nothing to envy, though Data says he doesn't feel envy. He feels nothing. He shares the human race's curiosity, but he cannot share its emotions. Q says emotions aren't all they're cracked up to be. Is not... Feeling a desire to feel a feeling, a feeling. I don't mm. want to. I don't want to be all armless on this, but I was reminded of the Tin Man uh, in the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. or the Scarecrow, or the Lion, um, or Dorothy before she actually you know got hit on the head and went up in the you know, tornado and all that stuff. Uh, right. They all had the thing that they were looking for. They just couldn't see that those things were the things that they were looking for. And right. and I, and I wondered if maybe that's Data's thing. Um, hmm. And then of course, if Data's just an analog for us since just like there's no Riker there's if data's just an analog for us yeah maybe that's an us thing too or at least maybe that's an idea that you know someone is trying to impart that yeah what what does Dorothy say at the end of The Wizard of Oz that if if I'm looking for happiness I I don't need to go any further than my backyard because if I can't find it there I can't find it anywhere now on the one hand that sort of keeps people from I mean that's I really I hate that message in a lot of ways because it really says no 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 don't aspire
1: (laughs) Just stay at home. Stay Where remote. you are
2: is cool. Don't yeah. you know? And if you think you need to go someplace else, well, have you have you checked your head? <laughs> but right. um, it is kind of interesting to think that, that that data really is constantly looking for something that he has. He hmm. says he says he shares their curiosity. Uh, well, then what else do you need at that point? I mean, it's almost like if he. I think we've actually talked about this before. I'm bothered yeah. by the fact that, that uh, data is written as or was programmed by Sung to constantly want this thing that he believes he can't have, and yet he wants it. That's almost like writing just like a little torturous subroutine into his operating system.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's kind of a cruel joke uh, yeah. at, at a certain point. Yeah. But
2: So then I wondered if it's if it's supposed to be a message of, look, he had this thing. He's had this thing the whole time. He just doesn't. He just doesn't realize it, and is that hmm. you know? I don't think that actually is a message, but it's a message that I kind of pulled out of it, or it's an idea that I pulled out of it. He he feels desire, he feels desire to feel. Okay, well yeah, you're doing that right now. It's <laughs> right. kind of kind of kind of what I was thinking. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I I was. I, I was thinking about that too about the 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 cruel irony of of what it is that um that he's he's given this programming to want these things, but then I also thought, well, what is his sort of um what is the master program for data and and the the program is that he is to essentially Assimilate himself into humanity to work with humanity in order to learn about humanity, mm-hmm. and in order to do that, he's got to act like them. He, he's got to be like them. So he's taking on all the components of 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 what humans do. Whether it's um, you know, he even says that he eats. <laughs> you know, yeah. so he'll go to ten for it, and he's there with um, he's there with Q, and he said, "Well, well, I I eat, but it's not." for the same reasons that other people do, but it, it's sort of just like going through the motions to show like, yeah, okay, that this is what the, the, the context of that experience is like, sitting in a place, talking to other people, not being on the clock. So I, I get it to that extent. That it's like you, you do the study by becoming part of the study. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the emotional element is what we're grappling with here. The emotional idea that it's desire. It's not just like, it's not just do the study and then get out. It, it's desire to be a part of that. Um, so that seems to be the the, the the difficult element there.
2: But then when you're talking about, I mean, when you're talking about programming, and certainly this can be applied to people, uh, Scientology proves it. <laughs> You, you can yeah. i mean you can tell yourself you're happy and if you tell yourself in the right way in enough time you'll you'll come to believe it mm-hmm. whether you should actually be happy or not i mean is is a very subjective thing but i suppose the idea of happiness is a subjective thing as well what i don't really get is 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 programming it into data why not just program him why not just program him to be satisfied yeah. I mean, he's he is. And and if we say again, you know, Star Trek, I mean, go back to this side of paradise the thing that upset people so much there was that people weren't actually striving. People weren't actually working. And so, you know, you got to shut that down and get them out of there because there's radiation, blah, 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 whatever. OK, so if you want to make that argument, the converse of that argument seems to be data. Data is a thing. And and he's wonderful and he's sad because he's constantly he, he's 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 constantly striving. He's constantly working. But the problem is he's on a treadmill that he can never get off. At mm. least at least as it stands right now. Now we don't want to cross the timeline. So to this point, let's just say it, it, it strikes me as an absolutely torturous thing and I'm not sure what the message of him is supposed to be. Just like, you know, hey, look at him constantly working for the thing that he seriously cannot get.
1: Well, so by definition,
2: he can't have it.
1: Yeah, but, but but there's something interesting about that idea, though. So, Doctor Sung's medium is robotics. Okay. You know, Doctor Sung's medium is artificial intelligence. Now, okay. if Doctor Sung's medium had been poetry, or or writing a novel, or being a filmmaker or something, he might come up with one volume, one tome that is about the human experience. Um, it, given the limits of of what that thing is, given the limits of of how long a book is, or a poem, or a movie, or whatever, um, so data is really the expression of that. Da- data is Dr. Sung saying, "I'm going to explore humanity. I'm going to try to figure out what all of human experience is like." but my medium for exploring that will be this artificial intelligence then that i'm going to give a program to say keep looking keep talking to people keep working with people and gather every single piece of information that you can the offshoot of that is that data sort of synthesizes his own personality as well
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but i'll I, i'll cut him some slack for that i mean Dr. Soon didn't create a human he created he created a um well, obviously he created an android <laughs> I don't know, I'm struggling for the word he created he created an android that has that as a purpose you know so it is a little bit different from the 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 colonists on uh, you know uh Omicron 3 just saying like oh, okay well I'm I'm done with the job so I'm going to be done with the job and data being the opposite of that I, I think I, I don't think those necessarily line up as direct opposites.
2: I guess the problem that I'm having is what Data wants is to feel, and his feeling a desire to feel is a feeling. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if the it feels to me then like there's something sort of sad about the fact that he may actually have the thing that he wants, but he can't recognize that he has the thing that he wants because he's too busy thinking that he can't have the thing he wants. And, and again, I don't, I don't think that's a great message. I mean, I really do believe that, that is the crux of the wizard of Oz. Yeah. I believe that is the crux of the message. at The end of the movie, the wizard of Oz anyway, because of course sure. at the end of the book, the wizard of Oz, it turns out Oz is real and there are like 29 more books, <laughs> but right. at, the end, at the end of the movie, the right. wizard of Oz, it's like, oh no, 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 no. Be fine with your lot. Yeah. And, and it's strange to me that, um, I, I don't know it's just um what happens with data is just yeah, kind of odd to me can well, we, data can we... says it. yeah go ahead I would
1: say just very quickly, data says it to Q, he says, you know, well look, it, humans have this insatiable desire to explore to learn to gain knowledge and 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 become something more, so that that is that human element that that he has, and he gets it, he gets that that's that's part of part of the deal, you know, but it's too bad he can't laugh about it too,
2: yeah. We do want to talk about Guinan really quickly. Yes, I'm not sure she has a place on the Enterprise. <laughs> she, she's the bartender. <laughs> I know she's the bartender, but man, she's mean. She's mean. <laughs> she is very much. I mean, everything that you were talking about about how like Picard was, how they did not have the um, how they didn't have the Baylock moment. Mm-hmm. They did have the Baylock moment. It just took them a while to get to it. Yeah. No, Guinan. And apparently it's her day off. She's not even in 10 Ford when Q gets there, but she comes in on her day off to say, so I hear life sucks for you now. Let me just say good. <laughs> also, let me give you pain. Oh, look, yeah. aliens are torturing you. Can can you hear me? Can you hear me over the aliens torturing you? No, I'll wait. <laughs> can you hear me now? Okay, good. Boy, does life suck for you? Huh? Right. I mean, that's right. pretty much it. And then she's only there for the one season. I mean, for the one for, she's only there for act three. Yeah, she's only there to give Q grief. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking, you know, not not necessarily the best representation of, of how we want to be.
1: Well, you know what? Uh, so, <laughs> and they, not they... what I'm
2: looking for in my bartender, by the way.
1: No, no. Yeah, but, but, right. but they have a they have a history. We they, well, they do. I... They
2: they do have quite a history. Yes,
1: and apparently that history goes on for centuries. Yes. So, and and she almost did some kung fu um when she last encountered
2: him yeah sort of some hexing stuff yeah yeah
1: it it was gonna get dirty there for a moment and we didn't have picard there to say "Now, don't stab him with a
2: fork (laughs) maybe maybe do you need the captain of starship there though to say don't stab anybody with a fork
1: well can we just we don't know their history again there could have been just some some terrible stuff with forks earlier in their history but maybe maybe what we're missing is that scene afterward where she has to go to you know Captain Picard's ready room and he says now now Guinan, the next time we have a guest on board that you don't like, don't stab that person with a fork. You got to pass this time, but not next time.
0: Q gets to take his powers back, so. What is it that we can take from Deja Q?
2: Well, it seems like this happens over and over and over again. We reach the part of the show where we discuss the messages, morals, and meanings and find out whether it and the production or they and the production, excuse me, stand the test of time. It's like Deja Q all over again, John. <laughs> As uh, to be a little bit Yogi para. Um, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned?
1: Well, you know, it's certainly fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the fun part about this episode is just watching Q struggle, um, whether it's the light
2: (laughs) moments or the serious How very Guinan of you.
1: I know, right? (laughs) Uh, She and I have a lot in common.
2: Yeah.
1: Hide the forks. Um... (laughs) You know, a a few and just a very few of the comedic moments play a little too broad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's kind of a minor complaint. You you know, I feel like the writers know that you can hand John Delancey something and he will make it great. So when you have lines that are just kind of they feel like add-ons – Particularly in that first scene in the bridge, his appearance is just hilarious and great, and his exchange with Worf, uh, as I said, is great. But you don't necessarily need him muttering as they get into the turbo lift. Oh, I'm claustrophobic. I don't, you know. It's just, it's just adding on for the sake of adding on. Mm-hmm. You know. So there, there are things like that that kind of bothered me. Um, like you said before, Q episodes don't necessarily have to have a lot of meaning, but they can certainly be fun so i'll give this one a pass for that yes it does hold up because if you are just looking for something fun then sure th- this is as fun as many other fun episodes and if you like q then why not how about you
2: yeah i mean it's a q episode mm-hmm. you almost can't go wrong mm-hmm. i mean i he he's just a he is a great character um it is neat to how many uh, godlike beings do we come across in the original series that we never saw again? Uh just uh, yeah. all of them. The answer is yeah. all of them, right? Yeah. Any godlike beings we came across we never saw again in the original series. I like the fact that he sort of becomes a foil uh for us. Um yeah, it, it's also I will say on the one hand I missed things like uh, like like all of the issues that were raised in the hunted or or all of the issues that were raised in um what was last week's episode
1: oh uh, uh the high ground
2: yeah okay yeah. so all of the issues that were raised in both of those i kind of missed those at the same time it was sort of like a nice breather for mm-hmm. <laughs> for me personally and yet it's not devoid of of meaning i mean i think the whole i think the whole question about <sighs> I don't know. I mean, the whole question about about data and 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 seeking for something that he may already have, I personally found kind of interesting. Do I think it was an intentional message? No, but it's 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 an interesting thing to play with that I that I sort of uh, uh, drew from this episode. Uh, certainly, it, not going around the universe being a jerk <laughs> right. might not be a bad message as well. And and you know, applied more broadly. If you've got power, if you've got prestige, if you've got privilege, and hey, that could just make you even lower middle class. But, you know, if you pass a guy who is sitting on the corner begging for change, you don't have any change to give him, fine, don't give him change. You don't have to be mean to him. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't be a jerk is actually, I mean, is, I guess, kind of a theme through all of the Q episodes, but especially this one, because, you know, should things turn... I don't know. There may be no such thing as karma, but you, you might find yourself in bad situations wishing that you hadn't been quite so mean to somebody else going forward. I mean, there are broadly applicable messages, it seems to me, but not, not like a, you know, you see Timmy uh, sort right. of message. What about you?
1: Well, I kind of wish the Q hadn't just come right out and said the boy who cried wolf. Because he kind of just well, he did
2: say the boy who cried wolf. See, it's funny because it's it's a it's a play on uh, it's yeah. it's a play on things.
1: Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I wish he hadn't just come right out and said it because yeah. that that kind of is the message here of the story. But other than that, you know, and and not burning bridges or you know creating enemies because in some kind of karmic way it it can maybe come back to bite you. Um, but overall, this is kind of classic Star Trek in the sense that it's, it's a study on what makes a human a human. What are the qualities that make us unique? Or, or even if they aren't totally unique, then what are the qualities we like to encourage and celebrate? And we see cooperation, compassion, empathy, acceptance, um, you know. <laughs> so, so this just happens to be sort of a light way to explore that. You do it through a fun character instead of doing it through, you know, the immediate threat of danger and death and, and seriously high drama like we've seen when Star Trek has explored those themes in the past. So as far as a message, yeah, it's not a you see Timmy moment, but as part of the, the you know, another thread in the fabric of Star Trek looking at humanity, yeah, it's, it fits right in with that. So... Um, are those messages that hold up? Well, sure. They're very broad, very
2: vague, general messages. Yeah, I mean, um, it's you. You mentioned. I mean, they're doing it in sort of a light episode. Mm-hmm. The episode is so light that it's it's easy to miss the messages. I think. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But you know, if you miss the messages, you actually still get a fairly enjoyable episode of Star Trek. I mean, there is some drama as mm-hmm. far as like, oh, we kind of we want to save these the, these people, but we're going to be attacked by this thing if we do, and you know, how do we get out of that? And, it's not high drama like you say yeah um yeah you know it, it's worth it though just just for john delancey's i mean just for his actual when he gets to the part where he's examining mm-hmm. who he's been at that point yeah i mean it's sure the messages hold up they're easy to miss and if you miss the messages still don't miss the episode because it's uh, it, it it's decent i'd say, I'd say it lasts
1: it, it's sort of like one of those oft-told, like guardian angel stories. Mm. You know, it's like when when you do the thing, when you when you have the the moment of realization that you have to have empathy for others, you can act for others, not just for yourself. Then that's sort of when you earn your wings, right?
2: Note to nope. self: um, Highway to Heaven reboot starring John Delancey. <laughs>
1: All right, with that, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more, so much more, at Roddenberry.com, so please check it out, Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
2: Next week, a matter of perspective.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp11, online at warp11.com, and from the album messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. Fashion for the Q Continuum provided by House of Beige. When you care enough to not be naked, but not much more than that. Remember, House of Beige and transmission.